everybody. Welcome back to the WZLY News production this semester. We regret to inform you part two of two. Uh, up next, we have a recording from Isabel who talked about rejecting things in pop culture, things that it seems like everybody likes, but you don't really like. I hope you enjoy. As a society, we often share concrete opinions on established pop culture phenomena. It's usually a given that Michael Jackson's music rocks, The Godfather is a good movie, and The Office brightens up everyone's day. However, sometimes well-received people, songs, films, or TV shows personally rub us the wrong way, so we reject those societal pop culture norms. For example, I can't watch Grease without gringing. Kanye's music makes my skin itch, and I got bored halfway through the first episode of Making a Murderer. Sometimes there's a rhyme or reason to our personal intolerance, but sometimes there isn't. I wanted to hear more about other people's pop culture rejects, so I asked several people to answer the question, what pop culture phenomenon do you hate and why? What pop culture phenomenon do you hate? I hate um, the Disney movie phenomenon purely because they have a lot of problematic messages that are subliminal and then they also teach children that, you know, despite it being, or even if we recognize that it's problematic, it teaches children that as long as it's cute and funny, that's okay. Uh, first, first thing that pops to mind is Jim Carrey. I think he's extremely overrated. I do not find him funny whatsoever. I don't know why people even find him funny. He makes stupid faces, stupid voices. There's no wit behind him whatsoever. He's just really annoying. I don't like The Office, mainly because uh, Michael is annoying pain in the ass and everyone seems to kind of excuse it in the show or just think it's funny and, I don't know, I just think it gives the wrong impression to guys in, like, real workplace that this is fine because everyone likes Michael, so, yeah. What movie do you hate? Pulp Fiction. And I don't like Pulp Fiction because I don't understand it and it's pretty violent and pretty gross. Friends. Some, I have to admit, some episodes are really funny. Some, they are. But it becomes extremely repetitive towards the end. And I think the Ross and Rachel relationship goes on for way too long. I think at that point, if you break up that many times, you're really not meant to be. So just end it. Just please end it. One popular thing I'm not really a big fan of is 13 Reasons Why. I watched the first season, and the last few episodes were way too graphic and disturbing in my opinion and the second season wasn't much better about that either. Overall, I feel like they could have gotten their point across in a much better way. I couldn't finish the last season, and I don't plan on watching another if they end up making a season three. As you heard, I received a variety of responses, ranging from serious hatred to mild annoyance. I found that even though most interviewees only shared one opinion with me, they all expressed negative feelings toward more than one pop culture phenomenon. I don't find this surprising. With Netflix, Spotify, YouTube, and more entertainment platforms available to us, we are exposed to large amounts of new content on a daily basis. Therefore, we can easily consume this content and form our own opinions accordingly. We all find the shows, songs, and people we like, and we discover the ones we reject as well. For WZLY News, I'm Isabel Pless. 
Next up, you are actually going to hear from me. Uh, my name is Rachel, by the way. I'm still here. Um, and I decided to talk to students who are part of an acapella organization and their experience with rejecting fellow students. And after that, you're going to hear from Anna, who talked about her experience in rejection in the dance community and her experience at Wellesley College Dancers. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. My name is Rachel. I am the news director of WZLY, and this is my segment for the podcast. I hope you enjoy. I feel like a lot of people have had the experience of getting rejected from things. Like, Dance Orgs mm -hmm. is one of the big ones just because they're so competitive. I feel like a lot of people have experience with singing or dancing or that kind of stuff. And then you get here and you think you're going to get into one, and then you don't get into any. Mm -hmm. So, especially speaking as people who you haven't had a ton of experience being in, like you're not seniors. How has it been rejecting a felt like peers from an org? Mm -hmm. I think honestly, so we're both still, yeah, we're not seniors and we had a few juniors and seniors auditioned for us. And that was the strangest part of the process was rejecting the two who are older than us. And like personally that I see as like role models or just like, you know, adults. And I still feel like a toddler sometimes. <laughs> So that was strange, but the audition process and all and the rejection process is feels democratic just because it's a full group thing when it comes to acapella. I don't know about other orgs, mm -hmm. but for us, it's very much everybody has a say. So it's not just like the president or the music director or whoever, you know, making the executive decision. Yeah. How did you go about, I'm going to move the camera because I'm, I'm worried it's going to be muffled. Um, how was your experience emailing people? Were, were you cognizant of sort of the language that you were using and like how you were sort of letting people down gently? Yeah. So we have a, we have a format for all of our emails, whether it be re rejections or acceptances or whatever. And, um, we use that for everyone. So it doesn't change no matter what we thought of their piece or their choice or anything about them. So it really, like, I didn't think much about the word just cause it'd been a, a formatted email we've used since, I don't know when, mm -hmm. since a long time before we got here. Um, but the words are very kind. It's just trying to let people down easy and saying like, try again, you know, you know, and I think the one thing that I would change about how groups do it is that I would love to give more feedback to people. Mm -hmm. Like I know that when you get outright rejected from something personally, it's like, why, what did I do? <laughs> and I'd love to be able to give people that information, but it also is nice to just have like a very universal way of like language, um, to tell people. Especially yeah. in the context of a performance group where it's not something that you like I guess especially with singing it's something that's a part of your body it's something that's inherently part of who you are and getting rejected from that feels very personal because to a large extent it is very personal mm -hmm. but it's not it's hard to convey a rejection that isn't a judgment of someone's mm -hmm. worth and not have them take it to be personal, like that yeah. yeah did you have any experience of trying to explain to people that they were still that you liked them, they just weren't a good fit for the group in particular, you know? Like, people mm -hmm. who maybe were good singers but weren't going to work in an acapella context, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like, making sure that people don't, like, just think, give, like, up, oh, on, give up on yeah. their dreams because of, like, yeah. getting rejected. So, the again, the email itself, the universal email, is the same for everyone. So that you don't really get into de details. You don't really say, mm -hmm. like, we think you're great, but you're just not a fit. But I personally am a musician on campus, and so I'd see someone who, like, raps or does this or whatever, and I'd be like, I would reach out to them outside of the group and be like, mm -hmm. I want to work with you individually. Mm -hmm. But 
And that kind of gives them, like, you, you like, isn't your place, but you're going to find other places to grow. Mm-hmm. But within our actual audition and rejection process, we don't do that formally. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. How has it been sort of reaching out to reject people, given that you personally haven't ever experienced a rejection? You know, like, you're mm-hmm. sort of, that you haven't experienced sending, like, receiving that email. You've only ever received an acceptance. And does it create, like, I know personally that there's some people who audition not even just in general or like for co-ops or um what's the word societies and like get rejected and then get in after does it change the dynamic of the group do you find um so well I auditioned for more than one group my first year Mm -hmm. and I got rejected from one Mm -hmm. so like I know what it's like to get a rejection email from someone Mm -hmm. if not the group that we're in now uh yeah, I think I only auditioned for the group that I am in, um, so I don't really understand how it feels to be rejected from that particular space, but I feel like it's that amplifies my failures within the group mm-hmm. in like a weird, I don't really know why, but I feel like I just have, because I was accepted, then I have to prove myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I don't fulfill that, then it's worse. Mm -hmm. True. And I can say, like, being, just because I've been a musician since I was, like, eight years old, and I've done a lot of auditions, and just for any, for words of advice for anyone who might be listening, the motto to remember is literally just the word next. Like, you're going to throw your line into the fishing pool (laughs) so many times and barely get any bites you know Mm -hmm. and you just have to remember that it really like what what you were saying earlier about how it's not a strictly personal judgment sometimes it's just you don't fit in the group they have too many people who knows what so just you gotta just keep moving and say Mm -hmm. next and just go to the next thing awesome all right thank you for your words of wisdom um we're gonna end for wzly news this is rachel thanks for listening So, talking about rejection through dance. This is Anna McDade. This is my recording for WZLY's podcast. Like, what does it feel like after getting rejected after an audition? What goes through your head? Well, I mean, I feel like you go into auditions knowing that there's a good chance that you won't make it, especially when you walk into the room and there are, like, tons and tons of people there. Um, So, like, you try not to to compare yourself to others, but I always end up feeling like, oh, well, there were so many people that were better than me. Is it really, like, worth it to keep going if I can't do more advanced things than I'm working on now? So Yeah, that's really valid, especially, like, at least in the studio that I was in, like, auditions, like, really meant nothing, and a lot of it was favoritism, and, like, even though I knew that I like danced well or at least as well as other students like they might have looked the part or like they like (laughs) uh, like or just like we're white and leggy and you know the standard like dancer type but like me not necessarily fitting into that like image of a dancer like I feel like sometimes judgments were not made like solely based on ability which is what you like auditions are advertised for but like yeah that's a real lie (laughs) especially like if after like Christmas or after I had like a break off from dance or if you took like your summer break or something and then you would come back to dance your body had changed a little bit if I'm not 
like looking as skinny as everyone else yeah. or if like my hips grew in or like going through puberty in dance oh. like even when like even though I was at a studio that was like really welcoming and like really was open about like trying to prevent eating disorders and stuff and I think like I was really lucky to fall into that place like people were still like unhealthy and there was still really unhealthy mindset yeah around comparison because especially with ballet like you're literally looking at yourself in a mirror for an hour and a half to two and a half hours like depending on the class yeah and and I think that like there's also differences between like studio because I didn't go to boarding school like I went to public school and there's a there was a difference between like what I experienced at my studio and what I experienced in like the dance org at my school like at school everyone came from different backgrounds were like at different like academic levels as well Mm -hmm. and like we were I felt like we could look past our differences because we were united by dance and that's what I want dance to be and that's why I like dance at Wellesley because like I feel like we're all a family and that really I didn't get the same feeling um in a studio and I felt like it was a lot clickier and just not a great experience yeah I mean one thing I I do completely agree with you one thing though that I do think about like is like what if I had been rejected by Wellesley College dancers how sometimes I think I set myself up to be in places where I don't get rejected and I know like what my abilities are with Mm -hmm. dance I also came to Wellesley after a year of not dancing and that was really difficult and so I was in that audition room just like feeling so weak and feeling like bad like just like straight up bad and I've been like kind of getting like I was getting back into dance like the weeks leading up to coming to Wellesley because I knew I had an audition and like how I put my self-worth into dance uh, in like one on one hand like it's because like this is who I am like because we've been dancing for 16 years each like you can't deny that this has been a big part of like who we are and how like we've been shaped like through the discipline and through the beauty and through like having this art form that's also athletic and is like based off of our bodies but there's also like towing that line in between like being Mm -hmm. this amazing thing and also it can be really dark really easily like that shit like scares me that's so scary and then when I I went from dancing six to seven days a week to not dancing and like trying really hard to like find outlets for it but just like when I was traveling I was not able to like find it at the caliber I wanted to and I also couldn't afford it while I was traveling Mm -hmm. and all it's it's expensive and there's an aspect of it that's like so Com- like like anyone can do it literally so, no like, matter your ability also but it's also exclusionary costumes point shoes lessons themselves just like a time you you need time and money and like sometimes you just don't have that and I just mm-hmm. wish it was more accessible to people and like what you were saying about auditions for Wellesley College dancers like I think that's totally valid and one of the things that we want to focus on is like not making it like so much about like oh you don't look the part or like you um like it's hard to have a high caliber if that's what it is yeah and so you do need if you want to be around high caliber people you have to have people who are 
technically trained at that level and that should be okay you know it's like this weird balance where I think no matter how long dance has been around that we still just like haven't been able to get to that point to figure out the balance between like how do you make sure that like you do have spaces where like really high caliber dancers can Mm -hmm. be around each other and pushing each other and like going further but then also making it not an exclusionary again going back to the exclusionary practices of ballet like if we're only now celebrating the fact that they're making point shoes in different colors like (laughs) like i don't know why we're celebrating this like Like it's messed up like yeah i've had a lot of struggles with that like because i i like as a little kid i always was like oh like as a dream like i want to be a ballerina but like at what point did i realize that that was probably not plausible because there aren't very many like or at least in the like role models for like ballet that Mm -hmm. we see like we don't see a lot of like Asian dancers Mm -hmm. at all or like even like African-American dancers or like anybody who's just literally kind of become this like yeah token figure yeah to show that the ballet world is getting better I'm like is it really if you have one person but just one dancer is like not enough and like as someone who is Asian, like, I needed something that was more realistic, that I don't want this to be, like, a an unrealistic dream for, like, little ballerinas who are, like, really good and, like, can actually pursue this, but to be discouraged by, like, the, like, typical image of, like, a ballerina is just so disappointing. I love dance, but I also hate it. Like, yeah (laughs) that's a mood (laughs) that is a big mood I'm really thankful for like smaller things like WCD where I can still like enjoy dance and be happy about like choreographing and dancing with like my friends without like feeling like I'm judged I think that's why I love choreography so much and like when I found choreography and like realized that's like where the most fun was for me in dance because like I got to move the way I wanted to and I got to show the world like how my brain was thinking and now what's hard is like trying to translate that for other people and teach them how to do that but like that's a place where it's like you know you can't take this away from me like this is what I like this is how I like moving like dance is a pain in the ass but like I would not want anything else and like I think because my identity is so wrapped up in it like let's just like make that a beautiful thing and like let's just embrace like the good parts of it because even with like weird shit like even with having to reject the I was like no I'm not going to like let this dictate how I think about my body I'm not gonna let this do this about like how I want to change my life like I do not want to make the sacrifices of what it takes to become a professional ballerina like I just don't want to do that but I am so grateful for like the inner discipline it taught me and like understanding that your body can be art and is art and like it's so cool that everyone can do it like yeah I just wish that like in promoting like your body is art not like I wish there wasn't also the like promoting of a certain image yes like because if you're like making art with your body like your body is beautiful like no matter what it looks like and like 
it shouldn't be like oh it's art only if you look like this because only that's if you're skinny just and white stupid and <laughs> have long enough hair that it can go into a bun yeah. and you can be picked up by a man and yeah. carried around a stage Next up, you're going to hear from Marissa, uh, who interviewed a fellow student who identifies as asexual and their experiences um, feeling rejected from the LGBT community, from communities outside of that community. And after that, you're going to hear from Mathilde, who interviewed fellow students um, from a variety of religious backgrounds um, and their experiences feeling rejected from and in religious communities. Hi, this is Marissa. I am with Maddie, another Wellesley student. Um, here to talk about a topic regarding rejection. So Maddie is an asexual student here at Wellesley, and she's here to talk with me about feeling rejected from the LGBT community as someone who identifies as asexual. This conversation was spurred by a Twitter thread by a Wellesley College student talking about why she thinks that asexuality should be excluded from the LGBT community. Um, so Maddie, if you want to give me some of your thoughts about why you, you, in our previous conversation, you said that, uh, this was an unhelpful rhetoric. Do you want to expand more on that? Yeah, it's unhelpful because my understanding of the queer umbrella is that it's a siblinghood, that we're supposed to be working together to increase representation in media, increase, um, general understanding of who we are, what we do. And so when you say, when I hear people say, or I read online that, asexual people don't belong in the acronym, they don't belong in the queer community. I think that the <clears throat> underlying assumption is that we are not enough. For instance, we haven't been oppressed enough in, in the same way that gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people have, and I'm not gonna contest that fact. But people can, if you continue with that logic, you can say, all right, you're not quote unquote queer enough, which means you don't look queer. It's just not okay to say somebody doesn't look gay enough. Like, how can you be gay? Um, so I think of that in terms of asexual people having not been oppressed enough. And it's just, it's unproductive to be sitting here arguing over whether asexual people belong in the, in the acronym, in the queer umbrella, whether they're queer enough. Why do you think... Uh, people who feel like they are like lesbian, gay, bisexual people who mm -hmm. are allosexual. Like, why do you think that they get so incensed about this? I saw this quote. I think it was, it was part of that thread that was like, oh, do you remember in history when people were murdered for being asexual? The obvious answer is no. That's not quite but fair. Yeah, like that's feels. not the only Like the only determinant thing of whether that's important? or not. Yeah. yeah. At least not in my mind, and clearly I'm biased towards having a positive view of the asexual community because I am a member of it. Right. Well, I guess I'm also wondering, um, can you talk about, like, the wild cards oh, response wild card. to the oh, thread? Yeah, the response. It, there were a lot of angry reacts. <laughs> and I actually ran into uh, two members of the e-board outside of... Uh, the Davis as I was walking back from class and I was like, hey, are we gonna do something about this? Dumpster fire that was on Twitter the other night and they're like, you know, it's this that is not the person who's gonna respond to Education it's someone who is gonna need to self-educate or someone who is going to need to Just quiet down and have their opinions to themselves because 
if we come forward and say, hey, look at a sexual visibility and education network, that's a cool website, they're not going to want to do that. There needs to be a willingness on the part of other people to engage with these resources, and I don't really think that it's our job as the wild cards to force people to do that or to convince people why we are people, why we are queer people, why our sexuality matters. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, on a lighter note, um, do you mind if I ask how you knew that you were asexual? I think I had some inklings of it when I was very young. I don't remember around what age people in my school started whispering about boys and being excited about dating and kissing. And I was like, can y'all just do your fucking homework? Oh, sorry, I'm probably not allowed to cuss. No, it's going to be aired after 10 p.m. It's okay. Okay. Um, I just didn't enjoy overly romantic movie plots. I didn't understand what all the buzz was about in high school regarding prom and who you're dating and who you're having sex with. I I didn't feel a need to engage with that aspect of life. I felt very satisfied being outside of it. And I I, tr- I asked myself, I remember throughout high school, you know, when you're when you're questioning all of your identities and as you continue to do that in high school like or in college rather, am I a lesbian? I'm like no, I don't think so. Am I bisexual? No. And I didn't hear, I don't think I heard about the term asexual, aromantic until my second year of college. And it, I definitely hadn't explored it a lot until I transferred into Wellesley. But I started happily identifying as asexual when I was 19 years old. Um, and I'm pretty open about that to my friends, to my to people at college. I told my cousin that over the summer and she just seemed kind of confused I just tried to give her the basic definition of it that you can get on Avon or on Tumblr or on Wikipedia and she was like well she kind of like furrowed her eyebrows she said well have you ever been turned on and I'm like sure I it seemed like she was missing the point you know um what do you feel like the point is that's a good question. Uh, the point is, um, like, no, I'm telling you how I am because I know myself, and I would rather you not question that or dismiss that. Mm-hmm. I think that's the point for me. Yeah, absolutely. You saying that, like, reminds me of something that I think a lot of people in the queer community do say, which is, like, <clears throat> it's none of your business. Like, get mm-hmm. out of my bedroom. <laughs> it's none of your business that nothing is happening in my bedroom. <laughs> yeah absolutely do you feel like happy in what you how you feel like your life will turn out being asexual I don't know that I would say I'm happy because I feel like I now that I've taken on this identity or these identities I have a lot to prove so the way I act is going to be applied to other people who say they're asexual I don't like that it's generalize and I don't want to be using this platform to speak for anyone but myself uh I hope wild cards doesn't excommunicate me after this <laughs> discussion I won't tell anyone <laughs> all right well thank you so much for talking with me I really appreciate it yeah you're um, welcome so this has been 91.5 FM WZLY in Wellesley Massachusetts thank you so much for listening Hello everyone, my name is Mathilde, 
For WZLY, I wanted to have a conversation with three friends, Hans, Samantha and Sarah, about the feeling of rejection in the religious communities. We shared our hopes and our doubts. Hope you will enjoy it. Um, my name is Ons. I'm from Tunisia and I was raised Muslim and I'm still Muslim. I'm Sarah, <laughs> she, her, her pronouns. Um, and I was raised conservative Jewish. Um, so like not the kind of Jews you see in the, the movie or the show Fiddler on the Roof, but like still people who, you know, have a strong connection to Judaism, celebrate the holidays, celebrate Shabbat, things like that. Still take the Bible pretty literally. Do you define yourself? Yeah, I, that's how I identify now. Thank you. Hi, my name is Samantha. Um, class of 2018, she, hers pronouns. I grew up evangelical Christian, which is like an offshoot of fundamentalist Christian, which also takes the Bible very literally. And I still identify as Christian, but more of a questioning Christian. Um, yeah. Not sure what I want to be in or out. Thank you. You're Christian and curious. Exactly. Same. I'm a Muslim curious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a Catholic curious okay. too. My name is Mathilde and I was raised Catholic. And I'm asking myself a lot of questions about that. I was completely out of church for a while. I know I'm, I'm asking myself if I would be more, if it would be more efficient if I was in to like challenge the thing that I dislike in the Catholic Church. So what is it you dislike? I mean, and what, what made you leave the church? Actually, because I felt rejected by the church. Mm -hmm. oh. uh, because uh, I was asking too much questions. And so people told me that I was not a, a true <laughs> Catholic. And also because I found too much guilt regarding sexuality. And it was really hard for me. And I don't agree with uh, most of the decisions made by the Catholic Church regarding, for example, homosexuality or abortion. So I, I, I was telling myself, how can I, how can I stay? And because if I stay, it, it means that I support that, mm -hmm. that I support those decisions and I really don't. But actually, I think that I can stay in and challenge this idea from inside. I think part of the difficulty of being like a questioning member of faith is you don't know whether you're questioning the faith itself or just the subsets of the beliefs yeah. that mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Of course, yeah. And the difficulties on that is so much that is connected to family and culture and things yeah. like that. And so moving away from even like a specific church feels like you're moving away from a whole yeah. institution, not realizing I've only recently found, actually I still haven't found um, like a church I feel comfortable in, even yeah. though I'm actively like looking now. Yeah. Do any of you feel the need to learn the religious texts that you grew up with better than your parents? Yeah. Yeah, my, my parents never really forced me and my brother to do anything we didn't want to do. Um, my brother, as he got older, didn't go to synagogue every week. Um, and they never really forced him to. They did want him to continue his education. Um but they didn't force him to go to the uh, Hebrew high school that we have in our area. Um, and I just, you know, wanted to. So that's why I did that. 
but I never felt a need to know more than my parents. Um, and part of that is because I never really found much fault with what they were saying because they're pretty liberal. Um, but also because that they're both um, Jewish studies majors oh, and like yeah. very well versed yeah. in the Bible. Yeah, so like, yeah, I'm a religion major, but like... Like, it's so sad that most of, like, let's say 90% or like maybe it's 100%, I don't know, of the scholars are male. Yeah. And they well, the scholars that you've heard of, maybe the famous ones, like who everybody listened to, or yeah, yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, they just explain things according to their own understanding, and they don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like they're inclusive enough, or they don't give the Quran its um, how to say this, like the proper explanation yeah this is how it is so they tell women to dress in a certain way so they can be prevented from looking at these women <laughs> so they can go to heaven sorry for <laughs> laughing we have similar stuff yeah i mean it doesn't make any sense i mean i still believe in dressing in a modest way i don't wear the hijab anymore but i still wear a turban i still dress modestly and i believe in modesty no. so i just stuck with the idea of being modest in like the physical appearance as well as like acting modestly as well sorry like no, i don't no. mean to get track of your oh, like yeah. i'm sorry um do you find something i tend to miss about i don't miss the theology of my community but i miss the sense of community yeah mm-hmm. sometimes yeah i was looking at like a meme yeah, I find myself, and I found that hilarious, just that one <laughs> meme. I thought, oh, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And then I was like, I'm not in this community anymore. Do yeah. I have a right to like think this is funny? So I'm, not, I'm no longer, I'm not laughing at my community that they're still of me, but at the same time I was like, this isn't my, these aren't my people anymore. They are, yeah. they aren't my people. So what does it mean that I can so easily recognize them? Um, like out in the world I'm like oh yeah you 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 like I can tell like yeah like, you're a part of like my people <laughs> but I'm no longer of you anymore but before leaving did you feel like you were really into that community yeah okay um they were everything for a really long time and one of the things um my mother is now she's possibly leaving the church she's a currently a member of um and I So, she was in an abusive relationship with my father um, at their church, at his church, my grandfather's church. And she ended up leaving to this new church. And that new church was there for her spiritually, financially, helping her find a domestic abuse shelter. They were truly there for her. And so, one of the reasons why I can never, despite how sexist and regressive and homophobic they are, I can never bring myself to fully condemn or distance myself from them because mm-hmm. a lot of ch- churches and synagogues and mosques and that religious community is sometimes there for you in a way that sometimes like secular communities aren't yeah. um, so I was very much in it I'm always grateful to those spaces and those communities even as I find myself criticizing them I think that they do a lot of good sometimes that good is conditional though it's conditioned upon you meeting certain beliefs and certain tenets of theirs like the sorry yeah go. Um, the oh do you oh well i was thinking of finish like, i got i was <laughs> basically like 
kicked out for being gay. Um, but those were my friends when I really needed friends. Um, when I really needed a sense of belonging and community from a really turbulent family life. And so I will never fully disown them. Yeah. Um, at at different hard. points in your life, you do de- need different communities to sustain you. Yeah. And I needed them at that time. I no longer need them, yeah. but they'll always have a place in my heart. Yeah. Therefore, I am still of them. At some point of my life, like all these questions, I was like, I felt the pressure of people telling that this is religion, take it all or leave it. And I was so confused. I was like, no, I don't want to leave religion because something didn't make sense to me. Um, And I was like, I was reading about it and I was like asking some people and I went into very intense conversations (laughs) about this. And I'm still very connected to the cores of Islam, to the values of Islam, to what actually Islam represents, not the explanations <laughs> that happens yeah. after. Okay, are there women pastors in your um, there sect? Are, so it depends. So my father's church is Kojic, which there are not female preachers. If there are female preachers, they can only preach at women's conferences, mm-hmm. meaning they preach more women. And for Word of Faith, there are female preachers, but they tend to, there's like women's topics, mm-hmm. like that, like, Oh, yes, women's troubles. Women's topics. It's like, oh, we're going to teach on, like, the role of the family. We're going to teach on, like, how to school children. So there's not a lot of pastors or female pastors who are like, yes, we're going to talk about everything or interpret text. It's we're going to interpret text related to these specific female issues. The Orthodox world is kind of like that. Um, Like, my friend went to um, Stern College, which is the women's version of Yeshiva University down in New York City. Um, and so, you know, the men there study Talmud and Gemara and the Torah and everything like that. And the women study household codes. Um, um, yeah, actually the first time that I felt really rejected by my religious community, I was really young and it's when I realized that I could not become a priest (laughs) (laughs) because I'm a woman. And uh, after that, I really wanted to get involved, but my priest was really conservative, and he told me that I could not help him during the mass because I was not I was not pure enough. Because oh my God. You couldn't what during the mass? Help him because you know traditionally. Yeah, like altar help. boys. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like eight, I think, I think, and I was not pure enough. What is requirements for pure enough? Uh, to be a boy. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, to be a man. Women are As simple as that. Yeah. It's, it's funny to me because in Judaism, the, the term pure um, has a lot of connotations with menstruation. And do you have a role model in your community who mm. helps you to like um, get over this feeling of rejection? Yes. Um, she is my older sister's best friend. And her name is Jessica, and she went to Princeton, and then she went to Union Theological Seminary. And I remember I was really questioning at the time what my relationship to the Bible was as someone who was studying as an academic text. And I was like, how can God be in the work of like human hands? And she texted me something 
like um, the Bible might not be the inerrant word of God, but it can be the primary place you encounter God. And that was such a radical shift from the way that I had seen it and the way my parents had taught it. And she was the model for a Christian who was accepting and kind and open-minded. And I didn't, I had seen Christians be kind and good people, but I had never seen someone who questioned their faith and came back. I had only seen people question their faith and leave. Mm-hmm. And so for her to do that um, was really powerful. For me, it was um, basically every queer Jewish person that I met, um, and specifically the rabbis. Um, and I, I just remember, um, I didn't really come out to my rabbis. I came out in eighth grade, and um, I was best friends with his daughter, so of course she knew. And then, um, beginning of ninth grade, they were watching Glee, because of course. And he was like, you know, you're allowed to tell me if you're gay. And she was like, no, I'm not. First of all, bald-faced lie. Second of all, she just, you know, didn't know it yet. Second of all, um, he, he then said are any of your friends gay? Which, yeah, he shouldn't have said, but I think he was trying to show that he, like, just didn't care. And he said, yeah, well, Sarah is. Um, And um, she told me this a few days later, and I got nervous. And um, the next time I saw him was at the Shul Hanukkah party, and he went up to me and gave me a huge hug and said, congratulations, I know this, you know, must have been hard for you to figure out, and I'm really proud of you do you have a girlfriend and is she Jewish? Um. <laughs> For me, it's every single feminist, Muslim, women, slash girl, slash, oh, yes. slash man who thinks for herself or himself and like being open-minded and acceptable as well. And um, there's actually a movement. I Googled it the other day and it was like, <laughs> Um, the feminist Muslims. It was very refreshing to see that, and actually, they're they're defending and like they're talking about the the things that the Quran actually says, yeah. like being equal to men, having the right for equal pay to work, whatever, be strong, independent, all that. And it's so sad that it's actually that's like what Islam says. And that's what the scholars mm-hmm. mis- like made people misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing is actually like affecting the Muslim community, which made like most of it very judgmental, not accepting, and like having specific box that everybody should fit in. And if you do not fit all these requirements, you're not Muslim enough. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, these are all these like women or men are my inspiration and actually I have good faith, like I have strong, um, I believe in the next generations. Hopefully they will change the, the next yeah. um, generation's mindset. So yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, I also have faith in the next generation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They will solve a lot of problems. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's hope. So. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. I have yeah. a strong faith, so. Thank you very much for listening to this conversation. 
For WZLY News, I'm Mathilde Ashley. Hello, everybody. We have almost reached the end. Um, before we go, we have two more segments for you um, that are on a bit of a lighter note. First, we are going to hear from Katie, uh, well, actually from Katie's friend, about a very terrible date. And then you're going to hear from Alex, who talks about uh, romantic rejection. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, so this is a pretty long story. Um, it actually all started one night at a Wellesley party, which is never a good start, because we all know the people who go to Wellesley parties, the men anyway from off campus, are usually kind of trash. But anyway, so it was at a Wellesley party, and I was with a couple of my friends, and there was this like, group of dudes in Hawaiian shirts, which is already a red flag. I don't I don't know why I didn't take that into account, but there's this, this group of dudes in Hawaiian shirts, and they were also all a part of an athletic team, which is, like, double whammy. I I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but I thought one of them was really cute, and he was talking to me. And um, so the next day, um, I thought it would be funny to add him on Facebook, and he literally accepted my friend request in three seconds. Like, li- literally three seconds. I, like, I sent it, it was like, bam, immediately accepted. It was crazy. So I was like, wow, okay, that's, I don't know how to take that. I mean, all right. And, like, we started messaging on Facebook and stuff, and, <sighs> oh, jeez. So I did some digging on every social media platform I could think of as one does, um, including LinkedIn, which is actually fairly helpful once in a while. And I got a pretty good idea of this guy, and I don't, obviously I don't want to use his name, we'll, so, we'll say his name is, like, Jeremy. Alright, his name was Jeremy. Um, and Jeremy studied economics at an elite university in the area, and he was on a sports team, which I will not say which, just because I don't want to reveal too much. Um, but I got the vibes that he was conservative, but then there was, like, other evidence that didn't exactly support that, so it was kind of a toss-up. It was really a mixed bag. Um, and he wasn't, like, when I was messaging him, he really liked to talk about cereal. Um, yeah, so he asked me, like, what I did outside of, you know, studying and whatever, and I told him all these, like, well, we're Wellesley students, so we do a million things. And I told him all that stuff, and I was like, oh, so, like, what do you what do? You do? And he was like, um, I like to sleep and eat cereal, which is totally great. I commend him for, like, doing him. But also, that wasn't exactly, like, the thought process I was thinking of. Like, not really the, the, the dirt I was trying to get. Um, anyway, so eventually he asked me to go out with him, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, sure, he seems like a nice guy, whatever, he's really cute, blah, blah. And so we decided to go to um, a musical event at his college, which, the name of which I will not say, um, I think everyone probably knows what I'm talking about at this point, who goes to school in the area, but that's all right. Um, so we decided to go with that and get Korean food prior. So I go to go to the campus and we like go get Korean food, and I 
basically, it wasn't like the conversation wasn't great. So I, he knew that I was a political science major, and I told him that I was involved in campaigns and stuff. And uh, I was like, oh, like, did you do anything for the campaign? This was the Hillary versus Trump sort of deal. And he was like, no, I just kind of kind of sat this one out. And I kid you not, in that moment, I was like, wow, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, oh, by the way, it turns out he was conservative. So that was also. Um, we then spent the next like 30 minutes looking for his friends because they needed to have his ID to get into the concert as well. Um, and while we were in line for to get into the concert, we ran into one of his friends who was, oh yeah, he was in a frat too. Just, that's a nice important detail. Um, we ran into one of his friends who was in his frat and he looked at me and he literally said, under his breath, typical Jeremy. <laughs> and I looked on Jeremy's Instagram and literally every single picture of a woman in his Instagram was, looked exactly like me. <laughs> like every, yeah. So that was interesting. Um, that made me feel weird. So we finally, for literally like three hours later, we finally get to the concert venue. And it's like, fine. Um, um, but all of a sudden he takes out this like nasty ass plastic bottle with like a brown liquid in it. And he just like starts drinking from this. Like, what the fuck? And I'm... And he was like, oh, I'm sorry, do you want some? And by the way, I could I could definitely smell it. It was, like, very strong. Um, and I was like, no, thanks. I actually have class tomorrow. I can't. Whatever. He was like, oh, okay, like, whatever. And uh, we ran into another one of his frat friends later on. And he was like, oh, like, you know, Jeremy, I was looking for all that alcohol on the, the bathroom sink. I couldn't find it. And Jeremy was like, oh, yeah, no, I just poured it all in this bottle. So Jeremy literally had just, like, bottles of alcohol on his bathroom sink, weird place to keep it, kind of gross, and just dumped it all into, a, like, a used water bottle and snuck it into it. It was, it was not great. So apparently Jeremy thought it was going well, and he was like, oh, do you want to get some, like, ice cream afterwards? Well, it was freezing. Oh, it was pouring rain the entire time. It was an outdoor concert. <laughs> So I was, I was soaking wet and I was freezing my ass off, but I was like, okay, you know what? Seems like a nice guy, even though I don't really know for vibing, but like, all right, yeah, sure. Why don't we go get like hot chocolate? Cause it was cold. So we finally, finally get to the hot chocolate place and we're talking. And also he talks about my ex for like a good 10 minutes. He's like, wow, you really know this campus really well. And I was like, oh yeah, huh? Uh-huh. And he said that, like, three times throughout the day. And then he, eventually he said it again. I was like, yeah, like, my ex goes here, so I used to hang out with him here all the time. And he was like, oh, whoa, what does, what, what year is he? And I was like, uh, he's this year. And he was like, oh, okay, well, what does he, what does he study? And I was like, well, he studies this. And he, and he was obviously very impressed by what he had studied and was like, oh, shit, like, he must be really smart. Oh, my God. Then he asked me how long I dated my ex for, and then he proceeded to say, very awkwardly, oh, well, I, like, haven't really had a relationship that lasted that long. He was like, not, not that I'm incapable of that or anything, but, like, and I was like, it's all good, man. I didn't 
didn't expect that. Like, it's all good. Don't worry. And he was like, yeah, I, like, don't really, I haven't really been in this situation with someone of the opposite sex, such as yourself, in a while. Which, the phrasing of that kind of told me that he didn't really need to say that so much in words, but alright. And I was like, that's okay. <laughs> like, that's, again, totally fine. Um, and then we were talking about, like, places we like to go and, like, places we had traveled and whatever. Because we both like traveling. And I was like, it's like, oh, where's your favorite place? And I was talking about these places I've been. And uh, we we're talking about, like, we both ended up, like, London and Paris. And I was like, oh, yeah, what's, what's your favorite place? And he was like, uh, I have to say my bed. And I was like, that's cool. And then he was like, yeah, but my mom sold it. So I was like, wait, what? Where do you sleep when you're home? He was like, I sleep on the couch. I'm like, wow, this is getting really deep, really fat. Wow. These convos, man. So that took about what seemed like six hours, but was really like 20 minutes. Um, and then once we were finally finished, he walks me to the bus. This is a long ass story. I'm sorry, everyone. He walks me to the bus and we're waiting. And um, eventually when I get on the bus, I go back. And the next day I'm like, you know, okay, didn't really vibe, but seems like a nice kid. Maybe I'll give him a second chance, like, maybe. And so, basically, basically, I offer to give him a second chance, and he just, like, doesn't reply to me. And, um, yeah, I didn't hear from him again until, like, four months later when he asked me where I was going to be in the summer, and then I told him that I wasn't going to be in the same place he was, and then he, like, never talked to me again. So... Yeah, that's my, that's my story of rejection, um, from a really terrible, terrible date, who's a lovely person through and through, um, but yeah, it, it stung, man, it stung. <laughs> my first question is, have you ever been turned down after asking someone out? Yes. So, um, I had, like, a couple experience with, experiences with that, but, like, the most significant one for me, I guess, was that I was in high school and I was really close friends with this person, and after a while I was like, I have a crush on her, I'm just gonna ask her out, and she was, like, very polite, she was really nice, but she was like, I don't really feel that way about you, um, and it was, like, really hard. Uh, to deal with that and, like, to keep being friends after that. And I had, like, a similar experience about a year later, too. How did you deal with those rejections? Um, I guess, like, the, the honest answer is that I just, like, didn't. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, cool. To, like, I would answer them, and then I would be really sad, like, with myself. Um, but, like, yeah, ultimately I feel like time made it better. Like, over time I was like, it's okay, but my basic response was just to act like nothing had happened, even though I, I was in emotional turmoil at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think, like, it was worth taking that risk of asking these people and being honest about your feelings with them 
um, when you, like, had this sort of negative reaction and it, like, affected your friendship like this? Um, I don't think it's always worth it. I think, like, yeah, I think, like, some of the times when that's happened to me, like, looking back, like, it would not have been a healthy or good relationship at all to be in, and, like, I would have been better off just, like, letting myself get over it and, like, moving on. Uh, but I think, like, you have to be able to have that, like, discernment to know, like, like, is this a crush, or is it, like, something where you feel like there's, like, mutual, like, feelings, like, and obviously sometimes you're wrong, and, like, then it just sucks, and it is probably worth it to find out, but there are times when it's not, I don't think. Do you feel like the way that you approach things now and the way you approach things in the future um, romantically has been affected by the rejections that you've experienced? Um, I think it's definitely made me just more, like, careful and, like, cautious with my own emotions, which I don't even think is a bad thing. Like, you should protect yourself and, like, take care of yourself. And so I think, like, after those experiences, I, like, will wait for someone else to make the first move or I'll, like, make totally sure that they like me, like, with it, without a shadow of a doubt before I do anything. Um, and I've been lucky, like, in, since then to have had, like, successful romantic experiences where that hasn't, like, I have been rid of a lot of the insecurities that those rejections gave me, but, um, but yeah, I, so I feel like it did at first, and it still does, but it, it, like, has faded with time, yeah. the amount of effect, like, it has on my decision making. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for people who are, like, experiencing rejection, or might experience in the future, or are thinking about, like, putting themselves out there like that? Yeah. I guess I would say, like, first of all, like, if you're thinking about it, kind of what I said earlier about really like thinking critically about what it could accomplish like if you think that there's a real possibility for a relationship yes like go for it like put yourself out there and if it doesn't go well it's okay it happens to everyone but if you really if it's not like if there's not a real possibility like I guess like a good example would be like if this person is like a senior in college and you're a first year like that's not going to be a really healthy relationship most likely um you should think twice before like putting yourself out there in that way um and I guess, like, advice for dealing with rejection is just, like, I, like, I don't know if the way I dealt with it was great, but I think it was honestly the best thing that I could have done, which is just, like, don't let it change your relationship with the person if you really care about them. Um, but if you do need to, like, have distance from them because it's, like, harmful for you, then, like, take the step back that you need. So just, like, prioritize yourself, but don't be mean to other people. Yeah. Do you think it's, like, possible to, like, keep up that relationship with someone as a friendship after that kind of rejection? I think there are times when it is and times when it's not. Like, that's going to differ for every person. But, um, I don't think it's impossible. Like, I think a lot of times feelings fade or, like, a lot of times once people have been told that there's no, like, mutual feelings back, you can be like, okay, like, it wasn't that big a deal in the first place. But then, obviously, there are times when that's not possible. And so yeah. you, it just takes a lot of, like, critical thinking, I guess, to be able to figure yeah. out when those times are. I feel like there's a lot of, like, a rhetoric of people being like, oh, like, just put yourself out there, like, be mm -hmm. honest about your feelings, um, and I like that you kind of, like, push back against right. that a little bit, yeah, like the... Yeah, and I don't think it's that you, like, shouldn't ever do that, like, yeah. yes, you definitely should, but I think you should, you also have to protect yourself, like, that's yeah. just my personal feeling based on my experience, yeah. I regret to inform you, you have reached the end of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening and for continuing to support WZLY News, and we hope that in the future we'll be able to bring you even more amazing content. But for now, my name is Rachel. Thank you for listening. <laughs>